0: Oh, it's
1: a goal! Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so a week has passed since our last pod, no doubt some of you are up to, what, draft 47 or so? Well, we're here to help as we embark on our second half of the season preview, that's L through W. To new listeners joining us for the second time, welcome again. Same to our regulars. But to brand new listeners, I recommend going back to Pod one which is on our website, which really introduces us and talks about what we're generally all about and uh, what to expect from us this year. We've got a lot to go through today, uh, so let's crack on. I'm joined today by Nick. How was your week this week, Brozovic?
0: Yeah, very good. Thank you, Tom. Busy as always, but all fine and well. So, yeah, welcome back, everyone. We are Who Got The Assist? You can find us on our website who got the assist.com and you can also find us on twitter at wgta underscore fpl and we're around on every pod provider you can think of including spotify which is the newest one which we're excited to be on
1: uh, yeah, certainly. It's uh, it's pretty crazy we're on there still, I think. Uh, right, Nick, uh, so we did all the introductions on the last pod, so I think we've just engage with
0: it straight away. Uh, we've got a lot to go, so let's go. Yep, and we're going to start with the uh, Foxes of Leicester City, and it's it's been a strange summer for them. I feel like they've regressed a little bit. They've obviously lost uh, Riyad Mahrez, who was their talisman of last season they seem to now be going through a bit of a goalkeeper crisis with um Schmeichel and um, being rumoured to uh to move to Chelsea so if they lose him I guess you're gonna well have to worry a little bit more about their defence um mixed at the beginning of the season start with Manchester United then Wolves Southampton then Liverpool and then then Bournemouth and then it gets a little bit easier after after Liverpool but I think generally they're probably one to avoid um at the beginning of the season, if we take a look at defence first. Um, they've got the England's finest, um, Harry Slaphead Maguire. We all know about Harry from the uh, World Cup, but his uh, goal attempts in the Premier League were pretty impressive last season. He was fifth for goal attempts over the course of the season with 30. And um, the previous season, when he was playing for Hull, he was actually third for goal attempts um, amongst defenders with 34. So at 5.5, he offers an um, attacking threat, which I guess is um, pretty good. Are you a fan of Harry, Tom?
1: Yeah, I am. And obviously after the World Cup, And fun fact, Nick, Slabhead at the World Cup won 5.9 aerial jewels per match, which is, the, I think, the most of any defender that I saw. You're right, the shots for defenders is very, very high. He also finished fourth for total BPS last season, Harry Maguire. So he scored two goals, four assists, got nineteen clean shoots, only got 117 points. But I think that those who kept uh, faith in him throughout last season can... Uh, Feel hard done by with Maguire. I mean, if he'd have uh, scored more, they kept more clean sheets, he'd have been a total BPS monster. And, you know, there are some links to other clubs as well. So if he does go somewhere a lot better for 5.5, he could be an absolute monster in FPL eventually if he can realise those bonus points.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think there's a lot of potential in Harry Maguire, and he was quite unfortunate last season that the Leicester defence was uh, so diabolical. I mean, he was playing again; he was playing alongside Wes Morgan um, every time. I had him my team for about the last eight game weeks. see no zero, I was just like, "Shut up, Wesley!" He's just getting those zero points every game week. But um, I think you had Chilwell. He's five he, point zero. He seemed to be one that sort of was coming along a little bit last season, but. There's obviously Christian Fuchs still around as well, so there might be some competition. Probably not really looking at Leicester defence. I think Maguire would be the pick of the bunch, but obviously he's a little bit more pricey.
1: One guy in defence, the uh, the new right back, a five point zero, Pereira and do the prospects and the prospects on him. They look very creative, but discipline um, is probably his key issue, which will kind of make me shy away from him for now. Uh, he was cautioned more than uh, Jose Holabas was last season, which is uh, pretty crazy. Uh, uh, more bad tackles per game than Holabas. But a potential out-of-position prospect, Pereira, um, Puel played him uh, at attacking midfield right a lot of
0: the time for for Nice, so he could be one to keep an eye on. Moving forward, I guess, to look at the midfield, could it be uh, Dimari Gray's time to shine? I think um, he's 5.5, so he's, he's relatively cheap. But I did a little comparison between Gray and Mahrez of last season. Gray's uh, stats basically pale in significance to Mares. Uh, we, we also looked at James Madison, the new
1: signing, uh, 6.5. Uh, lots of goals in, uh, in the Championship and he also has the set-piece Monopoly. So he could be another one like uh, like Sigurdsson or like uh, uh, Matt Ritchie to a lesser extent uh, who could maybe do, uh, do everything. I mean, he got 14 goals and eight assists in the Championship last season, which is pretty impressive. A decent rate of shots per game. He took a lot of shots from distance, but a decent level of creativity. It's just whether he, he can cut it in the Prem, so to speak. But a 6.5, I mean, that's on a level with Jota. That's on a level with Walcott. Uh, you know that there are a lot of options in that space, and uh, Madison could well be one of the smart picks who could, could come through. Certainly seems
0: to have the potential. Read all about that on our website. Yeah, definitely um, another good option in the Leicester team. I think the final person I guess to talk about when when you when we talk about Leicester is Jamie Vardy. Um, at nine he now seems a little bit too expensive, I guess, for the for the poor shape Leicester looking. Um, going forward and offensively but unbelievably he did actually manage 20 goals in the Premier League last season and um, when we did our players per value metric he was the second best value forward in the game with um, 12.82 points per value so I think there is obviously a lot of um, Potential for Ratface to go ahead and, and score lots of goals again, but he might be um, reporting for duty a little bit later because of his involvement in the England setup.
1: Vardy took uh, 71 shots last season, six of them were in the box, just under two shots a game. Vardy. The problem is, he's just one of those, isn't he? That he seems to score his goals from scavenging, and he seems to only have I, I don't know, whenever I've owned him, Nick, he's always seems just had that, that kind of one shot. And if he misses it, no matter when it is, like the one clear target, per, the one clear shot per game, if he misses it, that seems to be it. Like, he's not really prolific. He just only has that kind of that one chance. I mean, he is on penalties and um, but obviously missed one for me. But, you know, we still see Vardy in, in teams. And I think from game weeks five to game week 15, when Leicester only play Arsenal with a top six last season, Vardy could
0: well cling on in many teams. The value for his price could well mean that he's uh, of interest to some. Yep, definitely. I think um, losing that VARES connection, though, um, will potentially hamper um, Vardy's performance next season. So I think we're going to look at Liverpool next. And Liverpool are a team where a lot of people are generally thinking about tripling up on. They've got a pretty decent um, opening set of fixtures. They start... Um, West Ham at home, then they've got Crystal Palace away, Brighton at home, Leicester away. Then it toughens a little bit after that with Spurs, Southampton, Chelsea and Manchester City. But with those opening four, I think um, the Liverpool team, there's um, some really good assets that are really worth, I think, very good value. I think um, a lot of people have been looking at Robertson in defence and um, with the new signing of Alisson in goal, who's who's now priced at 5.5, Liverpool's um, chances of clean sheets are going to be even higher. Obviously there's there's Salah and for me, you know, who, who who's your uh, pick of the bunch then with uh, Liverpool, Tom?
1: Most are obviously. I mean, they're, they're um, clearly the number one team to watch at the moment. As you mentioned, a few new signings Fabinho, Kater, uh, Shakiri, Shakiri, and uh, Alisson have gone there, of course. And maybe even Fakir. That West Ham, Crystal Palace, Brighton, Leicester start has meant that many people are, as you say, piling in. Um, also, by the way, got a nice run of fix between game weeks nine and 16, where they only play Arsenal with the top six teams uh, across those seven games. Most are then, I mean, We've waxed lyrical about him time and time again, haven't we, Nick? He scored 1% of all FPL points last season, which is ridiculous. Liverpool were second for FPL points last term due to the fact that Mo Salah was in their team. He absolutely busted our points per cost metric, absolutely busted the Talisman metric, that 9.0 initial pricing, an absolute mockery. But at thirty million now, there's a big kind of discussion in the community about owning him and the merits of owning him to some extent. I mean, with him, for me, if it, you just feel safer. Like, you can trade down whenever you want to. And if you go without and does well versus West Ham, at that price of thirty million, you're going to probably need, if you do kind of... One thing. Oh God! I may tell them as they need to get him in. You're probably going to need a minus four to get him in, and you've also endured a, a massive hit because the effective ownership is surely going to be about one hundred percent on game week one with uh, with all the captaincy as well. I mean, he's uh, already owned by nudging fifty percent of people. Um, I mean, there are those who are going to remain defiant, but I still think that owning Salah from game week one is probably the, be- the best call. FPL Connect made a good point about this in his recent blog about playing the numbers and just doing the safe thing. In this case, owning Salah is safe. People are on about regression. In answer to that, I have one stat for you. Big chances missed. So Nick, in 2015-16, Mane, who was then of Southampton, topped big chances missed with 12. And Sanchez got 11 and so did Walcott. In 2016-17, Arnie missed the most big chances with 12. Um, and Hazard and Sanchez were just on eight. Uh, Salah in 2017-18 missed 23 big chances so he didn't record an unsustainable level of conversion if anything he could have scored more absolutely ridiculous that kind of stat compounds the fact that if it was masochistic to go without and we're going to talk about other Liverpool players of course but I feel that owning Salah is probably the best option really isn't it from game week one Nick if you're looking to just uh,
0: do the ultimate safety what do you think on that? Yeah, I think so. I think Salah is definitely going to be in my team and he's probably going to be my captain pick um, at, in, in game week one. Of course, um, he is very expensive, but I think he is worth that additional outlay. And I think when we're looking at the points per value metric, basically the top 10 was all full of goalkeepers, apart from Mo Salah, who was the uh, third's best value player. I think it was yeah. only Fabianski and Pope that... Were considered actually better value. So obviously that was his price last season. This this season he is a little bit more expensive, which means a few people are being put off him and, and looking at some of the other Liverpool assets perhaps as cover. But for me, I think you know those stats that you've spoke about um, regarding Salah are just so impressive that I think he is he is a must. Um, for the team, and I think um, obviously he got the uh, he, he tipped uh, Harry Kane for the Golden Boot last season. I mean that is an incredible amount of goals, and whether he can sustain that is is a good question.
1: Yeah, I know. I mean, without having without kind of staying on Salah too long, I think every year that we have this kind of big player cycle, don't we, Nick? Where you know the first instance is you you've got to own him no matter what. I mean, there's always that kind of hangover from the season before, perhaps with a player like Sanchez or a player like Hazard who always kind of finds his way, or you know Kane indeed that finds him finds his way into the game week one team and then people go through a stage of oh look at the pretty team I can make without uh without that expensive player so without Mo Salah obviously I'm seeing a lot of fantastic teams especially in our zombie league actually without Mo Salah Mm -hmm. and then come game week one the imminence of what you're about to do the fact that you're about to go without a very very highly owned player tips people over the edge so I think we're going to see a lot of teams on Twitter a lot of teams on Fantastical Scout places like that Tip into owning Salah despite them not owning Salah kind of around this time uh, of preseason, just because people get scared. I think because the risk is just too great. I mean, there's risk versus reward, there's a uh, acceptable risk and there's unacceptable risk. And I think that this is an unacceptable risk, perhaps, to go without Mo. I'm sure there's lots of people who are screaming at me now saying, Well, no, you know, I've got a great team, but the numbers do speak for themselves. Right, um, moving off Salah then, who I think we can safely say is going to be in our Game with 1 team and our captains, if all things stay the same. Uh, let's continue down the promenade and talk about other Liverpool players. Bobby Firmino, according to Nick's points per cost work, he offered the best value amongst forwards. This is his best season in front of goal as well. And uh, as a result, he took a 1.0 rise to 9.5. He had the least big chance in the top five strikers with just 17 of them. Uh, but he got 15 goals um, as well. So, you know, no-look goals galore. I-, I think the key thing with Firmino is there's not really much rotation risk, is there really, Nick? I mean, he's got Brewster, he's got Solanke, he's got Daniel Sturridge, who played against Blackburn the other day. Um, but I'm struggling to see really somebody else who's going to be able to come in for Bobby. I mean, he he seems integral to Klopp's system. And uh, I-, I just get the feeling that at 9.5, he is one, if he is looking like he's going to start a game with one, he may well find his way into my team and may well just stay there as part of the Liverpool triple-up.
0: Yeah, I like um, Bobby Femina. I think Danny Ings is potentially leaving the club as well. I think Bobby, obviously, he got he was four for goal attempts amongst forwards with 84, just only two less than Nukaku. But what um, Bobby offers that some of the other uh, forwards don't offer is um, assist potential as well um, in terms of chances created. Uh, for forwards, he he created 57 chances, 11 of which were big chances. And that's 17 more than any other forwards. In total, for assists, he managed to get uh, seven over the course of the season, which is um, was the highest of all forwards. It matched uh, Lukaku, actually. But I think um, playing alongside the likes of um, Salah, he, um, he managed to create a lot of Salah's chances. So if he doesn't score in the game, he is likely to get an assist as well. And that's something that a lot of forwards, um, you know, the likes of Kane in particular has been criticised for it, is um, the fact that he's not selfish and he's willing to play alongside um, his teammates uh, and um, offer them chances as well as uh, taking chances himself.
1: Yeah, excellent. I, I think that's definitely true with Bobby. I think, um, like the as you said, the, the multiple point streams almost is like having multiple revenue streams as a business, isn't it? The multiple point streams that he possibly has uh, to gain points is pretty crazy. Uh, in contrast, the other 9.5 Liverpool, uh, Sadio Mane, even new number 10, Um, he's only at 12% ownership at the moment. And last season was the second lowest ever points haul with 147 from 10 goals, 8 assists. Um, he only played 50 minutes less than the season before when he got 156. So he's only got 9, 10 points in here. He, he is fairly consistent. And um, the thing that, that always draws my eye with Mane is the bonus. So he only got eight bonus points last season uh, compared to Firmino who got 29 and compared to Salah who got uh, 26. Uh, and I think some of it, uh, we've looked, we looked at that in the Red Roulette last season. I think it's been proven again this season that he takes so many shots and doesn't really set other people up. And the same with Firmino and maybe Salah, that he always seems to end up outside the bonus. He was also joint fourth for shots off target last season with 31. I feel like he's going to be the guy who is overlooked and who, you know, one or two enterprising people could have come game week one. I mean, is there a case to have Salah and uh, Mane as your two rather than Salah and Firmino if you're doing forwards? We'll come on to the defence in a minute.
0: Yeah, I definitely think there's a case for for owning both. Um you just have to remember obviously the du- doubling up and um, this early on Liverpool and I I've only got Salah at the moment that's, that's quite a chunk of your um your attacking budget and it means that you have to sacrifice the likes of um Manchester City, um you know, Chelsea, Spurs. Arsenal, if, if you're willing to double up on Liverpool. At the moment, I've only got Solar. I do like Firmino. I think he's definitely, um, there's definitely a case for uh, owning both uh, Solar and Firmino and even um, a defender as well. But uh, I think um, for the moment, I think just just Solar is enough for me personally. No, it definitely makes sense. I think Firmino could come in, but but who knows? See, there's also Shakiri. He's 7.5. He was Stokes' talisman uh, last season. He actually outscored um, Mane for points. Um, scoring 8... A more points than Mane over the course of the season. got 155 over Mane. He's 147 and he had the underlying stats to back him up as well. It'll be interesting to see how he fits into the uh, Liverpool model. He's, he's potentially going to be rotated a little bit. Perhaps um, Mane might even be a victim of rotation because of uh, Shakiri. And like you mentioned, Fakir's been heavily linked with Liverpool as well. He we might see a little bit more rotation in, in those attacking uh, wing positions um, this season, which I guess um, has to be factored in as well. Um moving back a little bit then
1: i mean midfield there's a the motley crew of people who look fairly similar um you know, milner hendo blah 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 uh, one to mention is cater um 7.5 we did a prospects and prospects on him and he can do just about everything he he was great at tackles he won 1.72 tackles per game last season which is similar to most defenders not as good as kante by the way he won 2.21 a very good measure of him is ramsey in 2015-16 when he was fit but ramsey that season scored 4.27 points per game uh, which took him to about 120 130 and i think that that's what we will expect from cater i mean we saw the uh, against Blackburn in midweek, a lot of Liverpool fans were getting very excited about him. He closed someone down and, and popped a nice little ball through to Daniel Sturridge. I, mean, I think we're going to see stuff like that and we're going to see kind of goals assist. and But I think a lot of times it's just going to be tidy play and dynamic play linking the uh, linking the back to the front um, will be Keita's uh, role. So it may be very good in the Sky game, but uh, you know at 7.5, I think maybe there are other players, especially with Salah, already owned and maybe Robertson who will come on to in a sec already owned. um Uh, that should be drawing your focus there so let's talk about Robertson quickly then Nick I think he's in both of our teams and he was one of the very early people that we put in our teams he was the top assisting defender between uh, game week 30 to 38 uh, the final eight game which last season were three he also created four big chances was joint top and nine chances overall so I think you know without a world cup looking very attacking in the last season looking uh, quite a well-rounded FPL uh, asset uh, with a good keeper behind him,
0: but we, we both really think he's going to kick on, don't we? And uh... yeah, and I think he's going to be nailed on. Um, I don't think the likes of Alberto Marino, is going to offer much competition for the starting berth. Um, neither James Milner, who doesn't really want to play as left back anyway. Um, I think Robertson, with um Allison now in the team as well, he doesn't have like a dodgy goalkeeper behind him. Even last season, in with a uh, um, dodgy keeper, I mean they only conceded um, ninety two shots, which was the uh, second best. Uh, in the Premier League. So I think, um, you know, they managed nine, nine clean sheets in the second half of the season um, out of um, the last 18 game weeks. So I think that's, you know, 50% clean sheet record in the, in the second half of the season, which is pretty impressive. And uh, I think um, now they've got Allison as opposed to Carrier, uh, who I'd be surprised to see play for Liverpool ever again. Um, it's no surprise that, um, yeah, I think we've both got Robertson because we think that he definitely um, offers attacking potential and, and clean sheet potential as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a word for Virgil van Dijk there as well. Uh, nine nine goal attempts in the time he was Liverpool last season could obviously score um, and also potential for, for bonus points there. Alisson's very similar to Edison. I read a very good article in The Guardian about him. He, he's a very kind of modern goalkeeper. Pass accuracy was 79% for Roma last season. Um, you know, you're normally looking at the 60s for goalkeepers, but it, he was apparently doing things like playing defence, splitting passes. It, it just seems like he's, he's almost a better version of Edison, which is very scary in terms of... Uh, they're Liverpool's rivals but very good Liverpool fans and you know, 66 or 67 million or whatever it was for a goalkeeper could well turn out to be money well spent I mean that was Gianluigi Buffon's record absolutely mental and uh yeah, I think it's going to be a good year for Liverpool and I think that we're definitely saying that we're going to have at least two of them come the start of the season. Salah so auto-include and maybe Robbo as well as an auto-include, but I'm seriously considering Firmino too. Right, uh, Should we move on to Man City then, Nick? I believe you've had a, been having a look at these guys. An- another team which we're uh,
0: maybe on one, maybe on two players for. Definitely, I think um, yeah. When you when you look at Man City, you're up, upping the walk factor yet again. Uh, looking at their fixtures, they've got. It was quoted by Ben Krellin actually that um, between game week two to seven, it's the best run of fixtures for all teams over the Premier League season. They've got a tough game to start with um, which is against Arsenal. But after that, they play. They have a run of fixtures of Huddersfield, Wolves, Newcastle, Fulham, Cardiff, and Brighton. And they're essentially playing the promoted teams from the season before and the promoted teams from this season within six games, which is which is brilliant, really. So, you know, there's a lot of potential there for Manchester City to score big. Shall we start from the back then? So I think um, in goal, you've got Edison. Obviously, I think he, he was a great signing for Manchester City last season, really shored up the defence after, um, you know, Calamity Claudio caused so much trouble for them. But, you know, Manchester City, at the end of the season, they conceded to only 27 goals, which was... You know, the fewest of all Premier League teams, and Manchester United actually conceded twenty-eight, which is more. Um, so you could you could say that Edison perhaps um, even offers better value than those that are going for De Gea, like um, you, Tom. Though the difference between a De Gea and um, and um, Edison is actually De Gea made one hundred and sixteen saves over the course of the season, compared to fifty-eight um, for Edison. So De Gea was tested a lot more and, and made a lot more saves. So. I understand the appeal of De Gea over Edison in that regards, but he um, he may be still the cheapest way into the Manchester City defence if you want someone that's nailed on and is going to play week in, week out. He is the same price as um, John Stones and, and Laporte, and I know a lot of people have been looking at Laporte as well, but I think there is a little bit of a risk there of rotation and you're going to, if you own him in game week one and then he doesn't play in game week two, you're instantly going to think about how you're going to sell him. John Stones and company obviously played up until the end of the world cup, but uh, John Stones already talked in the media about um, wanting to be back for the start of the season and be back and ready and round to go. There's going to be Otamendi and company. If he stays fit, no doubt will also be chomping at the bits and hoping to play week in, week out as the Manchester city captain. So I think with with Laporte, I am concerned about the rotation risk there. I think the one that I think we both quite like at the moment and been looking at is uh, actually Benjamin Mendy. He's 6.0 million. But we and we never really got to see him perform last season. You know, he's, he appears to be fit now. It's, it's tough to really analyse him um, last season with the limited data. But, um, when he played for Monaco, I read through the prospecting and prospects of him from the last season. He In 25 games, he managed to register five assists, showing he does have that ability for attacking returns. And if he's playing week in, week out for a club that scored 106 goals last season and um, also has the best defence in the Premier League at 6.0, with that dual threat of attacking and defensive returns, he he looks like a steal if he can stay nailed on.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you've mentioned quite a few players there. I mean, uh, Edison versus De Gea. We're going to speak about that in a minute when we come to De Gea. Um, but uh, yeah, Ot- uh, Otamendi, Laporte, Stones and company, who the hell plays there? I mean, Otamendi was uh, second in the BPS last season to uh, to uh, Azpilicueta overall, but... Uh, showed himself to be a fairly good Premier League defender, but as we saw at the World Cup, he's hardly the sort of defender who's going to be organising a defence and keeping calm when all around him are losing their heads. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, definitely not that sort of guy. Uh, Laporte is an interesting one. So Laporte is the only Man City uh, centre-back who's left-footed, which I think... Probably is in his favour. It means that if they go to three at the back, he's absolutely nailed on. But yeah, Ben Mendy's one I'm looking at. um, 1.6 crosses per game at Monaco, which is pretty damn good. A lot of crosses. And if he can play that signing role, get down that flank, uh, play those kind of little balls in for tap-ins, which is basically what Pep's system seems to be, isn't it? Playing early crosses, uh, rolling them across the face of goal and hoping Jesus or Sterling is there. He could well get a lot of assists. And I think that he is the sort of player that if he is playing in pre-season, A 6.0, 0.5 down on a lot of the proper premium defenders. I think he's going to be one who's going to be in my team. He currently is. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a bit weird with City, though, because of the Arsenal game. I'm starting with Mendy on the bench, which seems a bit strange. But, you know, luckily, uh, I think I've got Cedric at the moment, who's got an okay game, game week one. So I'm
0: happy to let that happen. But... Yeah, I mean, Mendy's the one that I'm uh, most interested in of their defence. He was manager last season of the uh, Manchester City Twitter, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he
1: exactly. social media, so I'm guessing he's chomping at the bit to play. Um, yeah.
0: If we move on to the midfield, there's obviously there's Raheem Sterling. I mean, he's 11.0 million now, which seems extremely expensive, though he did manage to actually score 18 goals last season he, I think after everyone watching him during the World Cup, I don't think he's going to be a particularly popular pick at the beginning of the season, let's say. Um, also, I think we talked a lot last summer about the red roulette. Now it's going to be more about the pep roulette because um, they've signed Riyad Mahrez, another attacking midfielder um, at 9.0 million um you know, it's gonna obviously City scored 106 goals last season. How Mares is going to fit into that model is tough. It might mean that Sane at 9.5 million is rotated a little bit more. And I did um, a little bit of analysis of Mares versus Sane in terms of their underlying stats. And uh, Mares are uh, generally generally one on the big numbers. Uh, Mahrez, so Mares has a minutes per attempt of 40.5 compared to Sane's uh, 42.5. Um, Mares obviously scored more goals than Sane as well over the course of the season with 12 um, over 10. Um, Marez also had a better minutes per attempt, um, at 40.5 compared to Sane's 42.5. So, I think, um, I think Marez, um, there'll be a bit of rotation there. I'm not really sure. I think you, I know you're a big fan of Mares and, and looking to include him in your opening team, but I'm, I am a little bit worried though he was Leicester's talisman and a bit like Shakiri, he might find himself rotated a little bit more. Compared to last season,
1: you know we've got plenty of time. We've also got the, uh, the the charity shield as well with Man City, which is obviously a big benefit to us in terms of choosing who's going to be playing. Um, I've actually got uh, uh, Leroy Sane sitting in my team at the moment as a nine point five, so I've always always got that kind of point five that I can take him down just so you know I can sit on it. Um, but yeah, it's quite a tough uh, tough thing to say because obviously Mares was great as a big fish in a small pond at Leicester. Um, is it well comparatively small pond at Leicester? But I mean. There have been many players who have boldly gone to bigger teams. It's just whether he's able to perform with better players around him. I think that Mahrez is probably going to be one of those players who is able to perform with better players around him. And it depends on where he's fielded too. So Leicester is on the right a lot, um, but he has said in the press that he prefers to be the number 10. I mean, is that going to happen? Is he going to start taking time from the David Silva, who Pepper said is going to... Uh, uh, to see a reduction in his minutes this season very early on at 9.0 for a City midfielder it, I think that in terms of his performance last year of 9.0 at is about right if the game had opened up a little bit later and Mara's had gone to City he may be 9.5 as well so he's a tiny bit undervalued in my view and I think that he probably is the option I'm going to go with alongside Mendy in the midfield but you know I, I have moved on to Mahrez from Aguero actually who I'm guessing you're about to mention.
0: Yeah, I'd like to just quickly talk about um, De Bruyne firstly, actually, at £10.0 He actually has the uh, the best underlying stats of the entire midfield. He was the creator, I mean, but he was also fourth for goal attempts out of all midfielders with 94 last season and a decent shot accuracy of 41.5%. So people don't really talk about KDB for his goal attempts and his goals, but he was actually fourth um, overall for midfielders, which is pretty amazing. Like I said, he is the creator. I mean, he's top for chances created out of all uh, midfielders with 105, big chances created 19 and registered 16 assists. Over the course of the season, and also had the phenomenal 910 successful passes in the final third. Wow. Which <laughs> um, is, you know, pretty, pretty amazing. Um, obviously, I think with signing Amarias, he's probably going to be forced a little bit deeper again into the team. But he was... You know, he played the bulk of the season within a sort of midfield three and not one of the attacking front three like Sané and Sterling. And even though he was in a deeper role, he still registered, you know, amazing attacking returns. So I think KDB he's probably the most nailed on as well out of the entire Manchester City midfield now Um, with the attacking wingbacks probably likely to be um, rotated a little bit more. And um, like you said, David Silva's minutes being monitored. I don't think KDB's minutes are going to be monitored. I think he's probably going to play every game. Though he might be reporting a little bit late.
1: I guess playing the 0, you pay the 0.5 extra, don't you, for the security? Like like I think they always seem to set it up that way, that you've got to invest that tiny bit more. Um, but... You're absolutely right. I mean, he was a name that was popping up when I was looking at Man City. And it's almost the case, you know, if you, if you say computer, who is the best midfielder? Kevin De Bruyne would always be the person who would pop up in, in terms of all the metrics, all the underlying stats you said are very, very strong. I remember game weeks one to three. I think we owned him last season, didn't we? And he uh, was busy playing the quarterback role. And you were saying, get forward, man, get forward, do yeah, yeah. something. And he just never seemed to. I think with him, the key is patience, isn't it? some extent, uh, you're going to get your assist. You're going to get your goal eventually. He may not absolutely explode. when one of the long shots flies in, plus he gets an assist, then you're pretty damn sorted. That's happened many times for me, owning him. Just be patient if you do own him and obviously keep an
0: eye on uh, his return from, from holiday after being in Russia for a bit longer than most players. Up front, you've got Sergio Aguero at 11.0 million and um, Gabriel Jesus at 10.5. And I've actually got Aguero in my team right now, although I am starting to to worry a little bit um as to whether he will start or whether Pep's going to start phasing him out a little bit like he was trying to do last season and play Jesus. But, I mean, Aguero is on penalties. His underlying stats are amazing. Um, he was second for goal attempts out of all forwards with 94. Um, last season, which is pretty impressive considering he only played 25 games. And we all know um, that Aguero um, has explosive potential for a hat-trick or a four-goal And with those opening fixtures, I think um, at 11.0, he looks, he looks a steal.
1: Um, I've had Aguero in a few of the squads. The problem is, I think, with Aguero is that I would just about, I, I don't know, I, I don't really know why I haven't got him in at the moment. It, it's one of those things that if I've got Mahrez or Sana, who uh, give me 2 million or 1.5 million more to play with, I can distribute that money a little bit better. I guess the, the thing is with, with him is Pep,
0: for whatever reason, uh, same with Tite, he seems to absolutely adore Jesus. Yeah, I think um, we were watching the World Cup, weren't we, Tom? And we were like wondering why the hell Jesus was playing. Uh, most of the games with uh, Bobby Firmino just sitting there Mental. on the bench I think we both actually owned him at the end of the season for the uh, double game week and oh, you, yeah. even, you even were tempted by the triple captain weren't you but I think uh, I think for us I think Jesus I mean he's he scored 13 goals last season which is obviously a pretty decent return from 29 games he is part of that next generation emerging isn't he alongside like Neymar and um, you know Mbappe on the world team but I think I haven't seen enough from him to make him look essential in my team. I still think Agüero has a loss on him. That's 0.5 uh, more. I much prefer Agüero and his explosive potential over Jesus. But whether Pep decides that Jesus <laughs> offers more on the pitch than Agüero, it remains to be seen. And there is that rotation risk that we have to we do have to factor in.
1: Yeah, exactly. That might also be what pushes me towards uh, towards uh, uh, one of the midfielders in the end. I mean, the great thing about those two is that if one of them's injured, you just buy the other, don't you? Funnily enough, actually with Jesus, he, his shot accuracy is actually better than Aguero's last season. 55% shot accuracy versus Aguero's 45 He is definitely getting the chances and is doing, uh, is doing some sort of job for the team. I just assume that he's very, very good off the ball rather than on it because he only seems to be able to score tap and doesn't seem to be able to pass it very well. Okay, Nick, let's take a break there. We've uh, got through a lot and I'm not too surprised because Man City and Liverpool are two massive teams. Just the case of Manchester United after this one then. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? All right, so we're back and it's time to look at the Red Devils, Manchester United. They're going to be kicking off the Premier League season for us, a so Friday night game. Uh, Leicester, Brighton, Tottenham, but, uh, Burnley, Watford, Wolves, West Ham and Newcastle were their first eight. That first five of uh, is pretty decent, I think, of those eight. And I can see that a lot of people are already making investments into United. And by the way, another good run of theirs is between game week 18 and 26. So over Christmas, uh, they only play uh, Tottenham of the top six sides last season. There have been a few tidbits of information that have come through this week, which is why I'm glad we didn't cover them last week. With uh, with we Mata, Martial and Sanchez apparently going to be playing uh, in the first game of the season, according to uh, Jose Mourinho. And at the back, Smalling, Bailly, uh, Shaw and Valencia, apparently going to be the back four, which is a... Uh, interesting telegraphing of what he's setting up to do at least in game week one that's unleashed a lot of interest and a lot of players for example Martial seems to now be appearing in most teams that I'm seeing on Twitter um, last season he scored over five points per game he actually scored nine goals and got six assists last season despite being on absolutely no one's radar until game week 38 um, so it could still be quite an effective presence I think at 7.5 could he be worth it for the first couple of games at that price point I think that's quite attractive because you can swap him seamlessly to Ramsey or or, uh, or um when Arsenal's games uh, look better in game week three. You should have to hope he plays that Brighton game in game week two and that uh, Lukaku doesn't steal it from him. I think Sanchez is the other one that a lot of people are looking at. 15 big chances last season for Sanchez and comparing him Last season to the season before when he absolutely killed it with Arsenal, the outcome is actually really confusing more than anything, Nick. His pen box touches have come down a fair bit. He had 256 pen box touches for Arsenal um, in 2016-17, only 179 last season in the combined total. Um, but he created the same amount of chances and had very similar number of shots. 10.5, he's on penalties, and I think it's kind of confusing times, really. It's basically a case of if he can do it under Mourinho, and hopefully he'll be able to contribute and uh, have a better relationship with Lukaku. But I, I just wonder about Sanchez. I've seen him also in a lot of teams, but I just wonder whether, is it worth spending 10.5 on that guy? I'm I'm just not sure. Well, what are your views on Marshall and Sanchez first <laughs> off next?
0: So yeah, I am, I am looking at Martial um, in my starting lineup. I think he made some good points about him. Obviously, uh, Marino has been very kind to us FPL uh, fans by giving some revealing insight in terms of his opening uh, lineup at the beginning of the season. And I think if Martial is going to play in that number nine role at seven point five, um, he represents you know a massive bargain. And um, as Lukaku comes back, and Martial like inevitably um, drops back to the bench. He can be shifted out for for an Arsenal player or an Everton player, and um, like Cops or uh, Sigurdsson, um very easily. I think um, the other guy that I think is uh, potentially going to have a, a really good season for Manchester United is, is Pogba. I think um, eight eight point zero he represents a really good value. And um, David Monday has actually written a really good piece on on Pogba on the Fantasy Football Scout about um, the great expectations and one of the uh, very nice stats that I saw um, was that. Uh, only Salah with 4.0 and Sanchez um, at 2.83, average more shots per game um, for a midfielder than Pogba's 2.81. Over the course of the season, he was actually seventh for goal attempts of all midfielders with 76, and that's after playing only 27 games. And I think um, for those that watched the World Cup final and and the uh, the World Cup semi-final, Pogba was immense in both games and, and he's really showing some of that potential that people have talked about for a lot of seasons now.
1: Absolutely. I mean, 11 big chances for Pogba last season. Um, I, I mean, the other side of it, though, is that he only created 39 chances last season in terms of his his terms of his assisting and early doors. He seems to have gotten all of his assists and then stayed quiet towards in the season. I mean, yeah, he was, t- he was injured, but Willian actually created more chances than Pogba did in far less minutes. And he was beaten by the likes of Tom Carroll uh, in terms of chances created last season. And he also managed 26 chances created less than Andros Townsend. So we saw for France that he's perhaps the metronome of a team. He's a dynamo that makes the team work, the catalyst that brings it all together. In that way, he could be explosive if he scores goals, but it could be the case that he just ticks over. He could be a Michael Carrick as in, in, to some extent. If he does, it just depends whether he can get those shots in to get you the points. But 8.0, I wonder if that is worth a gamble. For me, it probably isn't. If he's not creating chances then, the man up top, uh, Romelu Lukaku, uh, may struggle a little bit. I I don't really know. know, It seems like Sanchez is becoming a bit more of an assist machine or uh, a chance creator. 11.0 Lukaku. I mean, last season he had... uh, He had more attempts, but actually when he was at Everton the year before, he had 110 attempts versus 80 at Manchester United. Similar number of big chances, but uh, more shots in the box for Man United than at Everton. 87% for United, 73% for Everton. Shot every 30 minutes, still similar sort of accuracy. Uh, He just scored a lot less for Manchester United. And I wonder whether he was just unlucky. Like He was the top scorer for offensive points for United last season of 18%. I just wonder whether we'd expect him to do more and he was like a perpetual source of frustration it just seems like for whatever reason he's got a rein on him and he's not quite able to be unleashed in the same way he was at Everton when he was scoring you know twos and threes again especially against the small teams he was a serious flat track bully it just doesn't seem to happen for Lukaku at United uh, barring you know I think he only got two double figure hauls or something last season if I remember correctly um, so he's one that if he gets into form, I'll have a look at. But for me, I think most of the interest I have in Manchester United is the uh, is the defence, Nick. I mean, you've, you've got Luke Shaw, 5.0, back in the picture. He's not played four digits of minutes for three years and he's never scored in the Premier League. Uh, but at, at 5.0, I mean, is he a no-brainer? He's showing up in a lot of teams and Mourinho said he's going to start?
0: I think the problem with Shaw, and it's a little bit like what I said about Laporte earlier, is okay, great, he is going to potentially start the first few game weeks, but if you have these types of guys, um, as soon as Ashley Young is back, I think Ashley Young is probably going to be um, Marino's first choice for fullback. He's never really been a big fan of um, Shaw, and we've seen that over the years with the amount of criticism the player has received from the manager. And he um, and Shaw has uh, talked um, quite, you know, talked up about his agent has at least about leaving the club. Um, so I think with Shaw, obviously, five point zero is is a very good value for a, a Manchester United defender. He seems to always be one of those players that we talk about um, at the beginning of the season in the pre-season. There's a lot of hype about Luke Shaw, and um, it's going to be his season at Manchester United, and it never really has um, has happened for him out of that back four. I think uh, the best option is probably. Valencia and smalling Valencia 6.5 million he is obviously the, the premium option in the defense he is nailed on in that position and he does have the potential for attacking returns as well um, which which is great obviously um, smalling as well he was one of my favorites actually at the end of the season he was a uh, he was scoring lots of goals he was playing every game he seems to have a, a very good relationship with Marino, even if he has um, been shunned by the England setup. up and uh, Gareth Southgate's not, not a big fan of his clearly, but um, I think there might be rotation. There is that. There are a lot of Manchester United central defenders. Obviously, Lindelof is um, going to come back from, um, in you know, playing the World Cup. You've got um, Phil Jones as well. And I think, um, I think there's also Marcus Rojo who might even stake a claim for playing in the centre-back role. So I think uh, you do have to worry with those Manchester United centre-backs as to how mu- how many games they're going to play and whether they're going to be nailed on.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and you've also, um, also got Eric Bayou, of course, um, who a few people are tipping, actually, as being a, a fairly central to Mourinho system. The issue is, and I think it's similar to Man City, that if that defence is a lottery, there is one winning ticket and he's in goal. Um, David De Gea... Is my man at 6.0 as it stands. Um, if Casper Schmeichel goes to Chelsea, then maybe he becomes a no brainer and I take the punt on shore. But David De Gea, Dave Say, he provided really, really strong value for money last season, which is very unusual. He was 5.5 of the premium. But he had an absolutely crazy season as well. You mentioned the amount of saves that the Heyer had last season 115. Uh, that's an increase of 39% on the 83 saves he averaged as a rolling average over the previous three seasons. Uh, similarly, he also kept more clean sheets, 18, than the rolling average over the previous three, which is 13. And this translates into a higher number of points this year than previous years. It was 172 points, dwarfing the 139 average points he'd scored over the last three seasons, which is an increase of 25%. Nick, of points that he, that he achieved. So far more than uh, than what we'd expect. So uh, the obvious question is with a 0.5 price shunt, is he giving us the runabout? Is he uh, is he going to be able to sustain that form? Well, there are a couple of examples in the past of goalkeepers who have done very well and been able to sustain that. Joe Hart took 20 to 2010 11, uh, was able to sustain his form the next season. He got 18 clean sheets, 175 points in 2010 11. Next season, he got 17 clean sheets, 166 points. Uh, Petr Cech. 101 saves, 16 uh, clean sheets, 159 points. He dropped to 134 points the next year. So there's a slightly reduced number, but I think that despite the fact there's going to be uh, some regression, it could be quite limited. The key with David De Gea is that he covers Manchester United's defence, which is always absolutely huge early on in the season. There are, for whatever reason, a lot of Manchester United fans in the world, including my sister. And um, the, the fact is that the ownership of Manchester United players is always at that bit higher uh, David De Gea is already on about a third ownership and I think we saw towards you know by the time we were drafting in Phil Jones and drafting in David De Gea that a clean sheet for Manchester United is genuinely very very painful if you don't own them uh, there are a lot of people hoping for Man United to concede even Manchester United fans I might add um, So so um, I, I think that owning, owning uh, David De Gea gives you that peace of mind he's always going to be there always going to play you've always got that cover ultimate set and forget if you buy him you only need to worry about 14 13 players in your team uh, every season compared to 15 and i just feel that like because of the security and certainty of points that he that he does provide he's better better suited there and the saves mean that he's a little bit better than edison and the fact that uh, mendy does offer a little bit more than the united defense perhaps do I mean Luke Shaw will have to see uh mean that I'm probably going to be going with David De Gea and Mendy rather than going with Edison and you know a Valencia sort of character
0: yeah I think um with De Gea I think there is that risk though like you mentioned about how some um goalkeepers have managed to sustain their performance but there is a risk that there is going to be a drop-off next season that Manchester United potentially are going to concede less chances uh, De Gea's confidence might be a little bit shot as well um, by the World Cup where he made a mistake um, and was criticised quite heavily by the Spanish press and I think um, goalkeeper it seems to be one of those positions that is um, very much a confidence-based uh, uh, game and you mentioned Joe Hart and, and then Petr Cech as examples of uh, goalkeepers that have sustained their form and I think both of those goalkeepers have suffered um, a loss of confidence and um, are making a lot more mistakes than they used to be and there is with that risk that you know De Gea may, may see a drop off and I think um, we talked about you know points for value and the value positions and, and goalkeepers the ultimate value position last season and I think um, you know, you can get a lot of good value in goalkeepers at 4.5, um, examples being Fabianski, um, Nick Pope from last season uh, and Matty Ryan, all looking like better value, actually, um, in terms of their value than De Gea was in the end, uh, despite De Gea scoring more points. So I think, um, I think in goal there are better value options than De Gea, personally.
1: I still think it's worth saying that if you're covering a big team's defence by having a goalkeeper in that's the key I mean you've got the saves are like a bonus at that level what you own them for is the clean sheets I mean you mentioned the Edison point that he's actually very close to De Gea in terms of points scored last year that was purely down to clean sheets that wasn't due to saves I mean saves if De Gea is able to maintain that level of saves and brilliant but really I've got him in there just to make sure that if Man United do keep a clean sheet and the the, mid, the legions of Man United fans who own Man United defender that I have those points covered if I've got Fabianski and he's conceded, you know, but he's got his three points because he's got his saves, brilliant. But I'd take the six points for the Gea over the three points for Fabianski. And this argument also works for Edison. It's just the case that I trust, I think the Mendy's probably a little, little bit of a better option than what the Magnite defense offer you. But you know, Chris Smalling at six probably would be the one i go to unless it looks like Shaw is going to be continually starting. I think that Darmian's actually being sold. Um, so it's just whether Mourinho is going to actually trust Luke Shaw or take him off after 40 minutes uh, to make a point that he hasn't signed
0: Alexandro or something. I don't know. I think so. But I think um, that 1.5 million can go a long way as well, personally, just from the other side, argument you're talking about like perhaps owning a player like Ramsey or Mkhitaryan you know 7.5 million pound midfielder if you have that extra 1.5 million you can afford the likes of Mahrez or Ali which would be um, potentially a significant upgrade so it just depends about how you want where you want to put your budget and where you want to spend it and if you're willing to invest more in your goalkeeper then then fair enough.
1: Yeah, and we'll have an article about what the stats tell you in terms of what a goal, what goalkeeper you should pick uh, coming out later on this week. Right, that's a lot of United. Let's move on to another United. Let's move on to Newcastle, Nick. And I believe you've been uh, you've been having a look at these guys.
0: Yeah, Newcastle. I think uh, they're, they're probably not going to be a team that a lot of people own at the beginning of the season, just because their first five fixtures are probably tougher than any other team in the league. They start with a game against Spurs. Then they've got Cardiff, but then they play Chelsea, Manchester City, and then Arsenal before it starts to be slightly easier with Crystal Palace and Leicester um, up next. But I think uh, Newcastle, um, they offer a little bit in defence, actually. In, in terms of um, shots on target, they were actually only seventh um, um, in terms of um, the amount conceded. Outside the big six, Newcastle were next in terms of the defence. And the defence was pretty pretty solid uh, last season, actually. I think... Um, in The last um, Dubravka, their new goal, well, their relatively new goalkeeper that they signed in January, um, he only played the last 12 games for them in the Premier League, and in those 12 games, they only actually conceded 11 goals. So, Dubravka really did um, sort out that defense. I think Lascelles um, at 5.0, he was the uh, linchpin of the defense last season, he actually um, scored more points than any other 4.5 million defender last season, and off goal front as well, he um, managed to score. Free goals over the course of the season, though. Um, if you're looking to own a Newcastle defender, I think um, I think Lejeune at 4.5 million might be the, a better value pick. He actually managed more shots um, with 13 over the course of the season compared to the sales 12, so um, he might have been uh, quite unlucky. And um, there's also Paul Dummett, of course. He was he was a, he was a bit of more of a, a joke pick, but he was an unlikely source for me actually. Um, for points in the final game week of the season. He was my only defender to register points with um, a random clean sheet against Chelsea. It's Yedlin as well, of course. He's, um, yeah. he's £4.5 million. Pounds.
1: Yeah, I mean, we looked at the 4.5s, didn't we, Nick, in our little article? And I think Yedlin's uh, currently the most owned, um, f- fairly creative. Lejeune probably slightly better as a pick. As you said, you, you, uh, Newcastle's defence is very, very mean indeed. Um, so towards the end of last season, between game week 30 and 38, uh, Newcastle conceded the third fewest number of shots of any team. They can see there's only 79 shots. I mean, the City and Liverpool were the, were the only ones below them. So you should be able to expect some returns from their defence. The issue is, as, you, as Nick just said, the, the fixtures early on don't really feed into that. It's probably be a case of watch and wait. But if they do kind of get a good run of fixtures, for example, between game week 11 and uh, game week 18, they, they don't play any top 16 during that period. So maybe that's a good time to get that sort of player in. And you know, despite Yedlin featuring in the 4.5 article, I think that, um, as Nick said, Lejeune having those those kind of uh, that attacking potential, as well as you know, when I was watching him, he had that kind of Toby esque penchant for long balls. So, you know, maybe he could be one that uh, that you consider back there at the United defense,
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, I think if you if you move on to the midfield, there's um, there's a couple of options there, um, there's um. Kennedy, who I think um, he's back on loan again from Chelsea. He's only five point zero, which I think um, actually offers really good, um, really good value for for a midfielder. Um, you know, because he's actually um, he's relatively attacking. Um, he uh, he gets forward quite a little bit, and he's he's involved in, in the goals as well for Newcastle last season. He had a attempt for every forty four point eight minutes. Um, he Had you know, one point eight goal attempts a game. You know, eight point five uh, successful passes in the, in the final third. Slightly higher average than um, his teammate Matt Ritchie, um, who had seven point nine. And uh, if you're looking at attacking sort of players at Newcastle within the midfield, I think Ritchie uh, 6.0, He's on the set pieces. He's on the corners. He's on the free kicks. With this tough run of fixtures, I think Newcastle midfield is generally um, an avoid Unless you're looking at a fifth midfielder like Kennedy at five point zero, someone to sit on the bench and potentially bring on if your one of your players gets injured or something oh, or doesn't yeah. play, he In- might be he might be a good option from the bench.
1: Interesting. I'm actually going to start as it stands. If if game week one started tomorrow, I'd actually be starting with Kennedy against against Spurs reserves. Um, 5.0. I mean, as you said, that, that kind of shot accuracy is, is very, very encouraging. And I think at 5.0, he was uh, FPL chef notes this in his article for the three amigos that he's very underpriced for what he could potentially offer. And those fixtures are very difficult. But if I just play him kind of the first couple of weeks and then make a change I mean there's a lot of 5.0s out there there's Kearney, Pritchard, uh, Hughes at at Watford um, etc and so on and so on I I think that for the first two game weeks that could be worthwhile Uh, Richie it looks like he's being linked to a move of Stoke so yet again to drop down to the championship he appears to be a bit of a Cameron Jerome type you know too good for the championship not good enough for the Premier League and I think a lot of the time last year the fact he had the set piece monopoly was what swayed me early on and I owned him for the ages I obviously took him out the week he got a 15-pointer or something like that but Newcastle didn't seem to get the penalties which was the one of the key kind of components of, of, of his points that I expected to get but yeah no I think, I think from Newcastle midfield I'm, I'm only really looking at Kennedy at 5.0 I think that probably the rest of them aren't going to be figuring it in my team or in my thoughts unless somebody breaks through you know Rolando Aarons breaks through and has a ridiculous season but I think that those kinds of things are very unlikely
0: Yeah, fair enough. And up front, I think um, we've got to talk a little bit about Jose Perez. I think he he hit a really good run of form at the end of the season where most of his goals came and he was sort of a sleeper hit, I guess, at the end of the season. Proved to be um, the third uh, best value forward if you exclude appearances um over the course of the season he managed to get eight goals and um you know made 60 attempts which is right up there um, near the top of of, of forwards and then especially in the second half of the season he was a, de- a deadly threat for Newcastle and um you know he, he potentially could be someone that if you are looking at 433 um formation and you've got sort of a price uh, price bracket of about 6.5 for your um for your third forward, Iosif Perez is definitely someone that is um, is worth looking at. I think, um, yeah, in the last six games, he managed four goals, so he could uh, he could definitely take that form up until this season and, and uh, press on. you a fan of Perez, Tom? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So P- uh, Perez, in the last uh, five games of last season, he was second to Harry
1: Kane uh, for, for attempts. Uh, had twenty attempts, fifty in the box, and had three big chances. And as you said, uh, managed to convert a few. He got goals in that period. Am I a fan of his? Well, as you said, he's a bit of a sleeper hit and he's probably going to be one that I'll be waiting on uh, rather than one that I'll be bringing in straight away. But I can definitely see the the appeal there. A quick point about Newcastle generally is that they don't seem to have made any serious signings yet and it seems like there's a, again a load of boardroom kind of ruckus going on. It's a, a Mike Ashley's dominion being threatened by the, by Benitez and a, the whole kind of power struggle going on there and if things do kind of implode towards the start of the season, if Benitez walks out for example and I'll be selling Kennedy and won't own him and I won't want to have any stake in Newcastle until they sort it out but you know, I, I hope they do because Kennedy is, my, is as you can probably tell my, my number one pick there uh, but Perez would be a close second if he was a little bit cheaper and the fixes were a little bit better than I think he would be featuring because of the uh, the points per value and because of the end of season form that he showed yeah let's move on to Southampton Great. Okay. Uh, so they've got a decent opening. Uh, they've got Burnley game week one, then Everton, Leicester, Crystal Palace and Brighton. FPL have said that they're all going to be fairly difficult games. And uh, I guess that, that negative perception of Southampton's is into their pricing. So they're, they're very, very cheap. They've got a very cheap base price, a lot of the Southampton players. I think almost all of them got a uh, got a downgrade in price, didn't they, Nick? So another thing to mention as well is they've got a great run in. Between game week first one and first eight, they only play Liverpool as one of the top six clubs. Uh, the rest of that is, is, a, is a really good run. There's a, there's a few points to be made here. So Cedric um, rotates very well with a West Ham defender for those people looking for a uh, uh, looking for a rotation. I spoke to a few Southampton fans, uh, primarily Lucy Heinett about this. At the back, McCarthy was uh, fairly decent towards the end of last season. It seems like uh, Forster was uh, being seen as fairly flat-footed. And you mentioned confidence of goalkeepers. It seems like he's completely completely shot now. Um, and it's uh, McCarthy and Gunn who are going to be the two there. At the back, you've got Hode, Yoshi, and Vestergaard, who maybe are going to take the back free up. Uh, Stevens, of course, has a has a goal in him, but uh, a lot of fan, Southampton fans apparently don't rate him very much. And um, Wesley Hoad is the only left-footer. Could be that he at 4.5 plays a lot of games, uh, but I think the kind of uh, Vestergaard, the new signing, uh, he won 3.1 aerial duels last season per game. That shows he's a bit of a beast of a man. He got the 5.0. I think the interest for Southampton at the back is is yet yeah, again every year. I think we seem to be looking at Cedric and Birch. Don't Oh, be uh, Bertie, he's he's 5.0 and he appears to be on corners on the left hand side and maybe on left footed set pieces. Is that worth the extra 0.5 over Cedric? I don't know. Cedric was playing right wing back for Hughes in the last eight and he actually made joint most big chances. He created four big chances in the last eight, which are encouraging signs. And yeah, you know, only 4.5. A European champion, Cedric, uh, could well be in my team
0: game week one. What are your views on the Southampton backline, Nick? Yeah, I think it's um, all about the full Cedric and, and Bertrand, for me. Uh, Cedric managed 137 crosses um, last season, which was fifth for all defenders. Uh, Bertrand was just behind him with 136. So Bertrand was sixth. In terms of chances created, though, uh, Bertrand was more successful than Cedric. Bertrand managed 36 um, chances created, fourth um, out of all defenders, compared to Cedric's uh, 24 and um yeah, they both um, I think Bertrand only managed three big chances. I think the um the problem with I guess the uh, the fullbacks was the fact that they were creating again, a lot of crosses in creating a lot of chances, but the um if the front line was pretty weak, you know, you had the likes <laughs> of k long you know, doing nothing and not being able to um, convert for love nor money. You've got Manolo Gabbiadini as well. Um, They're probably the best um, option of all. I know he's a personal favourite of yours is Charlie Austin, but he never seems to actually stay very fit. So I think, uh, I don't know if you've... um, looked at Austin or thinking about him as an option as well if, if we look at the forwards
1: yeah 6.0 you've got to be looking at Charlie Austin despite the fact he burnt me very heavily at the end of last season um, he actually had two shots per game in the final six game weeks and he was third for shots behind Kane and OJ Perez as mentioned he was second for shots on target as well in that time period um, just one behind the cold-eyed assassin who is Aubameyang in the last six game weeks he had a shot every 20 minutes so he had a shot nine minutes more frequently than Harry Kane did in the last six which is pretty damn impressive it's just the uh just the conversion that never actually happened sadly for me i think he got he nicked an assist he is one that a lot of people will be running to yet at the same time. I don't know. We need to see how it all comes together. I mean, We've, we've skipped to the front, but in midfield, you've got James Ward-Prowse again rearing his head, um, being bigged up by many uh, many media, by the sounds of it. It's not 100% likely he's going to play in his place. Uh, Stu Armstrong from uh, from Celtic, 5.5, may grab the set pieces. A bit injured last season, so didn't really play very much, but the season before in 31 appearances, uh, he's scored 15 goals and got Seven assists so yeah that's pretty uh pretty encouraging uh, the big signing is at Elio Uh Mohamed Elio Nusi is coming from Basel we had a look at his season last year and worked out he would score 145 points in the, in our prospects and the prospects kind of uh function at 11 goals and uh about 5.3 points per game could be a very exciting player and could kind of directly replace what Sadio Mane offered for Southampton. He seems to be replacing Dusan Tadic, the great pretender of of years gone, the the reason many of us turn to the alcohol, turn to the blood wine. I mean, Southampton fans, by the sounds of it, will miss him. From an FPL perspective, I'm not going to miss him very much. I mean, every year we saw that he did his once-in-a-season big explosion and then people brought him in he did absolutely nothing after that we saw it last season saw it the season before I mean we'll always have Sunderland we'll always have those four assists uh but so long Duzan and uh all the best but I'm very glad he's not in the Premier League anymore who got the assist who got the assist so we're back and it's time to talk about Spurs and uh, Nick, you've told me that you've you've done a lot of work on them. Obviously, I gave you them because you're, you're a big fan and uh, it sounds like you've got a bit of a stream of consciousness. Uh,
0: so, so make it so and tell us all about Spurs for this season. So um, I think for Spurs, I think they've got a decent couple of opening fixtures. Newcastle for them. After that, it's Man U, Watford, and Liverpool, which is tough around. Um. And then they've got four really good fixtures: uh, Brighton, Huddersfield, Cardiff, and West Ham. And I think let's let's start the front this time for a change. Harry Kane, twelve point five million, and despite the price, and uh, he is actually the most owned forwards currently. Uh, with an ownership of thirty three point five percent, and uh, we all know about Harry Kane. Uh, it's widely documented he never scores in August. He's also going to potentially be tired from the World Cup. And uh, knowing Kane, he'll probably will start the season, but he might be touch and go, and he might not be um, in the best of form with those opening two fixtures. Um, I think we're both thinking about resisting playing him and hopefully maybe we can get through to the Man U game as well. But by the time they have that run of Brighton, kind Cardiff, West Ham, I think it's going to be a case of resistance is futile. You have, you have to own Kane. You'll have to be in our team. I mean, his, uh, his goal his goal threat last season was absolutely insane. 184 goal attempts over the course of the season, which was uh, twice as many as the second highest forwards, Aguero, um, which is 94. You know, as a ridiculous 75 shots on target as well with 30 goals. You know, the the underlying the date on Harry Kane is amazing. He's a top performing asset, but obviously he is very expensive. And if you're going to own Kane and you're going to want to own Salah, that is, that's the quarter of your budget just tied up in just those two players, which means that the rest of your team is going to be slightly hamstrung and you are going to be looking at, you know, a, a very cheap defence or, you know, a, a cheaper midfield as well. And I think, um, so Harry Kane, it, it's a tough one. I think it, I'm going to avoid him. I've owned him. I think I've owned him at the start of the season for the last few seasons, but with the World Cup with um with the august who do <laughs> i might have to just avoid him but in- interesting actually there's been obviously we talked a lot about you mentioned spurs b team at the beginning of the season but there are a few assets actually there because Son's not going to be playing in the asian games ali's probably going to be reporting um late for duty as well so a few couple a couple of players that have emerged and have starting to appear in a few people's drafts which is a bit random perhaps is um Lucas Moura at 7.5 and uh, Eric Lamella at 6.5 million Lamela uh, Lamella showed up with a hat trick and an assist in the 6-0 uh, thrashing of South End in the pre-season and, uh, and Moura also got a, a goal and an assist too so perhaps that'll be uh, interesting wild card picks in your in your starting 11 though I, you know, I think there are a few other options, I think I prefer the likes of Anthony Martial perhaps. Um, and, uh, you know, if Ali does get back, um, those guys might not start and they are rotation risks for sure. Um, I think um, in midfield, Christian Eriksen, he's a, he's the king, really, out of all the um, Spurs midfielders. He was second for goal attempts with 97 and second also for chances created with 95. Ericsson can get a goal or assist in any game and priced at 9.5 million. I think he's definitely one to consider in the team sheets. And if you are going caneless, I think Ericsson does act as the perfect foil.
1: Yeah. Is that is that what you were doing at the start of the season? I, I definitely did think about it. Um, I'm wondering still about him. The issue is that if you're trying to run... Uh, two fairly expensive uh, strikers, or at least the 11.0 striker and Salah. And in my case, I've got De Gea and I've got Robertson and I've got Mendy. It's very difficult to have a team with Ericsson in it as well, which also looks fairly balanced, as you say. You know, having Kane and Salah hamstrings your team. But, but as you said, he, he's always very impressive. The shots that Ericsson takes, he takes a lot of pot shots, doesn't he? A lot of long shots all he needs is one or two of them to fly in plus an assist. And you've you've, you've suddenly got a very good game week on your hands and uh, 9.5 F- uh, 9. Ericsson is. I think that, that is still pretty damn good value for a player who perhaps in footballing terms is the talisman of of that Spurs team, uh, despite obviously Harry Kane uh, being the actual points talisman. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it sounds like with you not having Kane start the season, it's a bit of a voyage into discovery uh, for you. But at the same time, I I don't know are are you going to get the fear about Kane come game week one again
0: Newcastle away game week one do you think the hoodoo is going to hold up it is a tough one I I am I am thinking I am going to avoid him uh, game week one but I definitely do want some form of Spurs coverage Uh, at the moment I've actually got uh, Ben Davis of course uh, 6.0 I'm up I'm a big fan how of Ben Davis. Not, how because, could you no, not have Ben Davis? I'm also, I'm also a big fan of uh, Kieran Trippier. And I'd like to just talk a little bit about both these players. So, Davis is um, he created 46 chances last season, which is more than any other defender in the Premier League. And with a prolific goal scorer like Kane, you know that um, he's going to get on the end of those chances. But I think um, second actually for chances created was uh, Kieran Trippier with 40. And uh, Considering Kieran Trippier actually only played uh, 24 games last season, it is pretty uh, damn impressive that he managed to uh, come second for chances created out of all defenders. And I I can't really see the point of uh, Sir Aurier, to be honest. And I'm pretty sure, considering the way that Trippier played in the World Cup as well, um, I think that he must be nailed on for that right back slot. But I think at the beginning of the season, considering Danny Rose was part of the England setup, Trippier was part of the England setup. Ben Davis will be the the one to own it in that Spurs defense. Are, are you thinking about Spurs defender are you going for your um, your classic pick here, Jan Yann or are you looking at anyone else or
1: no, no. I, th- I think if I do get anybody, it will be our boy. Then um, I just. Uh, I mean, you got you got he who's still at the World Cup, but you probably should come back and play Davinson Sanchez, who uh, fouled England all, all over the pitch uh, when we played Colombia. Um, I mean, both of them, I think, are going to be ever presence this season, and both of them are fit for a zombie team. So Vatonga in last season was uh, was a source of great frustration for me, as you will remember, Nick. I mean, there are a couple of times when he could have got an assist. When uh, I think in the final game, one of the final games of the season, he assisted. Kane who was offside and then hit the post from a long way out and was playing basically in the centre four role for about 15 minutes and was looking very good but unfortunately it never really worked out for him it's got to be Ben Davis hasn't it I mean those chance creation stats are absolutely crazy and at the start of last season he was an integral part to the Spurs machine at 6.0 um is he going to be able to make it? Is he going to fit into my team? I'm not too sure. Um, I've got Patrick Van Anhol at the moment, actually. <laughs> you, you uh, uh, After what you were saying last week, a little bit more of a look at him. It's almost a case of beam me up. I'm going to have him. So I've got him at the moment. He could very well go for Ben Davis in the end. I'm, I'm just not quite sure yet on Spurs um come game week one it depends on the on the the sort of team that they do feel however I'm I'm probably being a bit silly not considering them more because it's not the case that they're going to be absolutely terrible and get destroyed by Newcastle 4-0 is it and they're going to put on a very good performance and they are going to do okay at the start of the season regardless of players being a bit tired so maybe it's the case that I should revisit that and look at that again
0: yeah, I think um, Vitonian he could uh, he could be described as perhaps the ultimate Dullard's pick, but I think that I think that's a little bit offensive to be honest considering his um, his actual return last season was 138 points. Uh, uh, Davis managed 143, but if you compare him to like forwards, I think both these guys make a very strong case for going for at the back and avoiding um, premium strikers, Vitonian matched Lacazette for points. Um, he outscored uh, Gabriel Jesus. He outscored, actually, all but five forwards. Um, ben Davis um, outscored more than five forwards as well because Ben Davis managed um, 143 points despite only playing those 29 games. So I think with vatonian like you said, he is a better pick for the Zombie team because he, he's nailed on. He, he won't be dropped. He'll play pretty much every game. Ben Davis, he might see that rotation with Danny Rose, but I think he's very likely to, to start the season for Spurs with um Having not played um, in the World Cup,
1: yeah, absolutely. I'm not too surprised to see that he's uh, figuring in many teams uh, come game week one. Um, And I think almost that if you are, you know, if you don't want to pay the 9.5 for Ericsson, you don't want to pay the 12.5 for Kane, but you do want Spurs cover, paying that 6 million for Ben Davis, uh, who's owned by 8.4% of players at the moment, which is fairly respectable. Could well be worth it. I just really wish, as you said, that Trippier was nailed because he just looks absolutely excellent, doesn't he? He'd been linked to Real Madrid this morning, actually. I've seen in the papers. So who knows if he'll be there any longer. But yeah, I just wish uh, Aurier would go away, frankly, and Trippier could play. It just seems that for whatever reason, Poch's game seems to require event, uh, occasionally rotating the uh, okay, rotating the backs And we saw with Ben Davis last year that at times he just not appear Potch is very good at being economical with the truth, isn't he, with the media? Um, so, yeah, one to watch out for. But yeah, I can see there's definitely
0: a compelling case for Davies.
1: Anything else on Spurs, Nick? No, shall we move on to
0: Watford? I guess we're going to start slowing to impulse here now. We're, we're sort of reaching the tail end of the uh, teams in the Premier League and we've covered the uh, top six. Uh, Watford. They've got a decent opening uh, few. They've got Brighton at home, Burnley away, Kuskajas at home. And then it's um, tougher fixtures against Spurs and United. But I'm, I look at their, their team and I, I struggle to to pick out anyone that's uh, particularly appealing. Obviously, there's uh, Richarlison, but he's been linked quite heavily with a, a big money move to Everton, isn't he? Um, who, who have you looked at then? You've um, studied Watford in detail, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I completely share that. I mean, I looked at Watford and I just thought, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's uh, so something else to mention is that between game week 17 and 27, they only played Chelsea and Tottenham in that run. So they got a very good run there throughout the Christmas period. Um, in goal, Ben Foster, he's uh, kept an average of nine clean sheets per, per season when he was at West Brom. He could be a very good addition there. Um, in front of him, honestly, who knows? We, we just don't know. Watford seems to have, as many other people have noted, about a million defenders all coming in from lower-grade Serie a teams. It's the Pozzo strategy. Just have as many defenders as possible, it seems. you know, just have a, a, a tr- I, I just don't get it. Um, Kiko Firmino was the one we picked out in the 4.5s, but we don't even know if he's going to start now. Um, he ended up with 15% of his points being bonus last season, which is pretty crazy. At one point, I think by game week three or four, he was second in the defender rankings. But I just avoid all of Watford's defenders because
0: we just don't know who's going to be playing given the number of them. Yeah, I mean, there's also Holabaz, Obviously, he was a uh, 30. He created 39 chances last season, which was actually third for all defenders at 4.5. He he may offer some good value, though he was also a, a yellow card magnet. He got seven yellow cards last season, uh, 14 the season before, and um, he was he was in quite a few people's teams. I think the season before last, but he was very much one of those players that um, could get you a, a 15 point return or or a minus one because Watford were <laughs> um, Watford were pretty leaky at the back last season. I think they are a team that are probably going to struggle a little bit um, this season as well. I mean, they conceded 64 goals over the course of last season. Only um, only Stoke and West Ham conceded more.
1: Yeah, they certainly, certainly, certainly. I mean, you mentioned Richarlison. Um, fun fact on Richarlison, uh, a stat which will surprise literally no one who owned him. He was top for shots of target last season, 47 of his 95 shots were off target um but he's going to Everton Nick uh yeah you said uh heavily linked and in the first half of last season under Marco Silva he averaged nearly six points per game and was having an attempt every 15 minutes which is absolutely insane so if he is at Everton with with their fairly decent start I think that's a good call uh to, to buy in that is under a manager who he clearly loves you know some sort of father figure thing going on there in midfield, there are a few options, I think. Uh, Ducore, I think, is perhaps a teeny bit too expensive now. He went up to six. And he's one of those oddities, a bit like his teammate Kapue was a couple of years ago. No idea how he got seven goals last season. I mean, the, the stats don't look particularly exciting for him. It was just, for whatever reason, it, whatever he, whenever he seemed to shoot, he seemed to score. <laughs> very, very strange. Um, but I think a six that's perhaps a little bit too expensive uh, for what what is essentially a combative midfielder. Below him, Porelli, uh, is quite an interesting one he actually managed 4.5 points uh, per game uh, last season when he played he created 20, 23 big chances he made six big chances and he made a chance every 71 minutes a 6.0 quite a quite a classy player actually quite an fm signing of mine uh, back in the day had quite mm. a high creativity score um he could be one that many many are looking at the one i I've had in many teams is Feu, Jerry D at 5.5 and that could be very good value there 5.4 points per game at Everton and I think what's interesting is those first three games Brighton Burnley and Crystal Palace, owning a player like De La Feu or like Pereira for those kind of fixtures, which are pretty good, owning a player like that seems to me a good pump because you're able to have players in those games that you're like, well, okay, well, I'm happy to play them in that. I mean, Then there are a lot of other options around that price bracket, so you can just swap them out after game week three after Palace. Um, so, you know, I, I am definitely looking at De La Feu at least at 5.5. I think that with the newly promoted boys, uh, Jota and Cessignon being 6.5s, um, he at 5.5 could well be a nice little punt on the same sort of level as owning one of those uh, Walker as well as 6.52, of course. Um, I mean, what do you think about Delafayu and, and maybe Pereira? Nick, any kind of have you written off Watford entirely or? Do you is there anything in what I'm saying here that is making you think again?
0: Uh, I'm not really looking at these guys. Obviously, <laughs> if, if they if they hit a rich vein of form, you might be tempted at some point to to sneak one of them in. I think um, if we look at the, the forward line, obviously you've got Troy Deeney and Andre Gray. What I found interesting about them um, these guys is like. They, they're the perfect examples of making a case of why the first striker is, is completely pointless and how you shouldn't, you shouldn't be looking at um, these types of players when um, actually the likes of uh, Bruno and Zabaleta actually outscored them last season. And it's not just, you know, literally about 50 odd defenders got higher scores than these guys. They were that bad. Um, so just uh, just avoid 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 is, is what I would say on um, yeah. the front line which obviously means that Grey is probably going to net a hat-trick in that opening game week against Brighton at home
1: but. Yeah, yeah exactly for what it's worth um, they're very very similar um, they, they appeared together uh, Dini had 36 shots uh, shots last season compared to 34 for Grey uh, Grey is slightly better he had a, a few more big chances um, had a slightly higher conversion rate only scored 5 but then so did Dini Um uh, Lower shot, lower shot accuracy by a couple of percent. Um, I mean, Dini obviously missed the penalty again for me. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but yeah, I completely agree with what you're saying, there, Nick, But neither of them are particularly options that I'm looking at, and I think that at that. 6.0 price point looking at maybe Callum Wilson or um maybe Charlie Austin has mentioned or maybe trying to find the extra 0.5 your man Chris Wood um I think that's probably a better thing than uh, investing in Andre or Troy Deeney of course but as you said I'm I bet they'd go on to score a hatchery now or a game we won now he said that right uh let's move on uh to uh West Ham Nick uh, you've had a look at them
0: yeah West Ham I think um they've got a relatively tough schedule at the start of the season. They've got a tough game against Liverpool. Um, then they've got a home match against Bournemouth. Then they're away to Arsenal, home to Wolves. And then, um, then it's, it, just, it continues to get tough to be, for them, to be honest. It's Everton, Chelsea, Man U, Brighton, Spurs, Leicester after that. So that's a really tough run of fixtures before it starts to get a little bit easy for them. But I think with West Ham... They've, they've, it's obviously, they've gone through quite a large um, transitional summer again. They've um, spent a lot of money. They've brought in a lot of players. And it'll be interesting to see how these players um, hit the ground running. They've obviously got the issue of um, Manzini. He's going to be out for the season. He was um, one of their key players last season. So it'll be quite. Um, I think it'll be a tough um, start for them and as they've got quite a lot of players to, to bed in uh, to their club. I think um, one of the new signings, Fabianski in goal, um, presumably he, we've talked about him a little bit earlier about how he was the actually the, the best value uh, player in the entire game last season um, with no keeper making more saves than him with 137 over the campaign. Uh, presumably he has been brought as um, the number one but there is still Adrian at the um, team and and Adrian um, made the good case at the end of last season of keeping Joe Hart um, out of the team as well. So maybe um, it will be a little bit of competition for that starting berth for West Ham. I think in, in defence, I know uh, you're a big fan of Bob Bonner, but um, Cresswell, he's definitely <laughs> uh, he's the premium option and he comes at a premium price because that. he's 5.5. Uh, um,
1: I, can't believe, I can't believe that 5.5. It just That seems absolutely mental to me.
0: Yeah, I mean he took nineteen successful corners last season, which was the second highest of all defenders. Chris. He found him. He's on <laughs> he's on three kicks and corners and he actually managed um seven assists, um, which was the highest of all four uh, all defenders, um, alongside uh the aforementioned uh Ben Davis and uh, Kevin Trippier. So he does offer that attacking threat. He is on set pieces. So I think he um he does offer a little bit of good value for money, even though, like I mentioned um I was talking about the worst defences in the Premier League earlier. For goals conceded, uh, West Ham had the worst defence um, alongside Stoke conceding 68 goals, though they were lucky to actually somehow manage 10 clean sheets out of, um, out of those games. I think um, they've also got the uh, injury to Winston Reid and it's unknown as to when whenever he's actually going to return, which I think makes him slightly weaker in the back as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are a few uh, good guys coming in, though. I mean, uh, Winston Reid looks like he's going to be covered by, uh, well, obviously uh, is still around, kicking about. Uh, but they've got two quite big new signings, Issa Diop and uh, Balbuena, uh, who's a Peruvian central defender, I believe, who signed from Corinthians the other day. Uh, Diop uh, comes in at 0.6 shots per game. Uh, he scored three goals last year and looks like quite a, quite a decent technical defender, actually. And Balbuena, more of a big lump, three uh, aerial uh, battles won against game last season I think the most interesting thing to say about West Ham actually Nick is that they rotate as I mentioned with Cedric very very well with Southampton over the first five games so anyone's looking for a very early rotation and then making a wild card um, So so Southampton West Ham rotation in the first five and I think other people may have mentioned this uh, gives you a Burnley game week one Bournemouth game week two Leicester game week three Wolves game week four and Uh, Brighton, game week five, all those games at home. Um, So having Diop slash Cedric is definitely something that I'm looking at. Um, But yeah, I mean, those figures last season for West Ham aren't particularly good at the back, and um, it's not like Pellegrini is renowned for making fantastic defensive units, is it? Um, So yeah, a a lot to kind of uh, gauge uh, with pre-season, but I think that's definitely an option for some managers to have those kind of uh, two players rotating earlier on
0: yeah for sure um if we move forward um, in the midfield again it's a case of new signings um you've got yar melenko he's a, he's joined from dortmund so i think he was, he was- Pretty dominant for Dynamo Kiev um, in Ukrainian Premier League, um, scoring more than uh, 10 goals, seven seasons in a row. It didn't really work out for him at Dortmund, but um, it's, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on in the Premier League. Um, he's also pri- he's, he's priced at 7.0. I think with West Ham, it seems very much a case of the 7.0s. So you've got uh, Felipe Anderson, an um, uh, unbelievable amount of money they spent on him rumoured around £47 million pounds in total from Lazio. And I think he's, he is an extremely exciting uh, um, signing for fans of the Irons and he's, I think he's definitely one to watch um, over the beginning of the season. You mentioned Flippe Anderson. We haven't actually done a prospects and the prospects on him due to time.
1: Uh, but a few things we noted, for example, are that he averages two key passes per game, which is very, uh, very interesting. He plays as, as an AMC despite having a lot of pace. Um, averages about 1.6 shots per game. Um, didn't really play very much for that series last season, but the season before did get nine assists and four goals um, and could well be that kind of Lanzini character to knit it all together, uh, which is going to be very exciting. But yeah, going forward, I think, uh, I think there's only one man, um, Chicharito, you know, who you may talk about, but there's only really one man who, uh, who may be back in our teams come game
0: week one. Yeah, Nautovic, I mean he he's been reclassified um as a forward. He was midfield last season, but he was definitely the talisman at the club last season. He um he had a bad start the season actually um under uh, Slavin Village but really came into form um under uh, David Moyes and he, he managed eleven goals, seven assists, seven and really helped him um stay in the Premier League uh, last season he, he's, he has a bit of a disciplinary issue he did get he has managed he did get a red card last season as well five yellows um season four he had nine yellows and also got a red card that season as well he's definitely the case um of a player that can get fired up he loves to loves to score against mark hughes as well so when um when they play southampton um that'll be a fixture to to look out for um but i think analyst uh, he definitely uh, he definitely represents a decent option as a, as a forward option at 7.0 i think he is um, he's very good value still um despite the reclassification because um the towers are very kind like they were with Zahar and decided not to give him a price increase as well um and um in the preseason he has been playing as um at number nine, which is good, um, it suggests that Pellegrini is not going to be uh, moving him back onto the wing, and um, there's no less of a risk that he's going to be a reverse um, OOP player.
1: Yeah, it was very, very interesting on over the last six game weeks of the season, as you mentioned, did emerge as the talisman. Uh, he had 26 shots, 20 on target, level with Mo Salah, level stats. He had 66 pen box touches, which is the most of any player at that time of last season. That's 7.0. I mean, if we adjust what he scored last season, which was 144, accounted for the fact he's now a forward, he would have scored 126. So he'd have lost the extra one point for every goal that he scored, which was 11, um, and would have lost... The seven clean cheap points which he uh, which he attained however he does score more BPS for scoring a goal as a forwards, which is 24 compared to 18 for a midfielder so it's very unlikely he'd have lost any of the bonus points that he did achieve last season so 126 points for a for a forward uh, isn't too isn't too terrible to be honest that's level with Gabriel Jesus and uh, as you said he had a pretty poor start to the season but finished strongly if he can continue at that sort of rate if he is able to keep those stats up but at 7.0 he is is, to me, maybe that optimal forward to shove into your squad. Um, Just because at 7.0 and below, there are a lot of options that could potentially come through he is the best player and um, the best option in terms of fpL stats so far um so he could be the guy that you kind of put in there for the first kind of few game weeks despite the fact they're not particularly great and then hope that you know someone comes through and then kind of swap them out but yeah analvic i think is very exciting this if he is playing as the as the main striker in place of chicorito then uh, 7.0. seven point zero and that's a more than worth uh worth the investment
0: so we move on to Wolves finally um so Wolves I think I think the trouble with them is they've got another tough run of fixtures and um, so perhaps not a team that we're going to be heavily looking at again they start with Everton Leicester Manchester City then they've got West Ham and Burnley then they've got Manchester United so it's, it's, it's relatively mixed um you know they've signed a, a you talked about European champions earlier. They've signed a European champion for a goalkeeper in Rui Patricio, 4.5. I think he's definitely um, someone to look at. We've seen um, we've seen in seasons past that the promoted goalkeepers do very well the next season. Um, last season, we had Lossell and Matty Ryan in particular that really performs well. Uh, Rui Patricio obviously didn't play in the Championship last season, but playing for a promoted club, you have to expect um, at 4.5, that's quite good value. And he's, he's definitely... Um, a decent option and um, who, who have you looked at in particular then for the Wolves Tom
1: yeah I mean Patricio, 4.5 keeper as you said if he'd gone anywhere else he'd be 5 5.5 easily uh, 22 clean sheets last season for sporting Lisbon but yet again I mean having a goalkeeper of quality can make a big difference as you mentioned um, at the back um, a couple of people to mention obviously Douglas uh, Barry Douglas that is he's on set pieces and managed 14 assists last season uh, 1.8 key passes per game, but only 0.7 crosses. So he's a kind of a creative fullback in the in the Leighton Baines mould, uh, which is always kind of very nice. Uh, very nice to pay attention to. Uh, the other guy is Big Bolly, Willie Bolly. He won a massive 4.1 headers per game last season, which is absolutely mental. So we've mentioned that vestergaard got 3.1. We've also mentioned that uh, Balbuena won three. He won one more every game, so he is an absolute clearances machine, effectively. He's going to be very, very well favoured by the bonus system. Doesn't really score that much, but he could be one who's a massive bonus hog. Um, He also outscored uh, Harry Maguire for um, aerial jewels one uh, per game last season, which just shows what kind of player he is, especially in the championship when balls are going to be launched. I guess that's probably why it's a little bit higher, but at the same time it's just an indication of the potential that he could offer. Uh, But for Wolves, Nick, the key players are in the centre of the park. We've got Jota and we've got Neves uh let's talk about joseph first so we did the prospects and the prospects on him uh 17 goals five assists last season he was a top scorer pretty damn astonishing that he's at wolves but there you go he's one of the one in the jorge mendez uh stable he can play in attacking midfield attacking midfield he can play on the left he plays a false nine we worked out that he'd have scored 5.47 points per 90 last season and at 6.5 that seems pretty ridiculous value started at false nine in the most recent friendly uh, a very selfish type of player uh kind of a Richarlison Romane a Mane kind of guy uh 2.7 shots per game last season which is absolutely crazy that's very very high uh with a nicely impressive 56% accuracy as well so shots from all kinds of angles which more often not are on target which is very very encouraging he's owned by eight percent at the moment but I'd note that he has seen a lot of uh teams which are being put together by uh folk who have uh scored highly in the past. So he may be one of those players who's a good early-season punt, despite those fixtures being quite difficult, as he may be the sort of man who can do something and really break through early on the same way the Sassanian was. Are you looking at Jota, Nick?
0: Yeah, at the moment, Jota is actually in my team. I think um, it's quite interesting. Obviously, he played um, up front in the pre-season, and FPL and, and the Wolves' Twitter had a little bit of banter, um, um, with FPL saying, oh, look at this midfielder playing up front. And Wolves said, well, you classified him as a, a midfielder, not us. And that's quite, in, I found that quite interesting. And I think, obviously, he said he's 17 goals, 6 assists. As he's classified as a midfielder, he really could um, push on um, and see how he gets on in the Premier League. I think um, I actually saw you have to always worry about uh, players that do well in the Championship um, compared to the Premier League. I saw sort of Norman Conquest actually made quite an um, interesting hot topic on the Fancy Football Scout website, where he did some analysis of um, the top scorers for the promoted clubs um in the championship and how they did um, in the Premier League and you know, you had your likes sort of um your on your Andre Grace getting twenty three goals in the championship and then only getting nine in the Premier League. Um, you know, Gail from last year was um it, Another example, he got 23 goals and only managed six last season. So it'll be interesting to see if, if Jota can um, use that championship um, form and, and bring into the Premier League. I think the only one that was sort of an outlier and did better in the Premier League was um, was Charlie Austin when he got 18 goals and seven assists at QPR after scoring 17 in, um, in the championship. So if, on, if, um, if, we'll, if uh, Jota can uh, continue that sort of championship form in the Premier League, then he, he, would be a, he will be a really good pick. And I think the fact that he is a midfielder does um, increase his appeal for me because obviously he can get those extra points from, from goals and, and clean sheets.
1: Yeah, definitely. It was given that kind of awkward extra 0.5, 1.0 more than we were expecting. We were expecting maybe six as a, as, a, as a kind of a top level, but with that 0.5, it does give you a little bit of trouble, but I think you're still able probably to fit them in. Um, Neves is the other guy. He's now featuring in 15% of teams. Um, we saw he was on penalties, which is going to be something which is uh, going to allure many more owners, just 5.0. Uh, but key note is that he's a very dirty player. 11 yellow cards last season, which would have seen him level at the top of... Uh, midfielders for yellow cards with Romehu at Southampton uh, we're only anticipating uh, about 100, 120 points uh, or so from him he scored six goals last season a lot of them were worldies a lot of them got onto YouTube but at the same time he doesn't seem to offer very much apart from that um, is, he's more of a very good player who doesn't particularly do very well in terms of uh, scoring FPL points and in terms of profile he's very similar to Xhaka in terms of playing a, a kind of slightly defensive role in that Wolves midfield um but you know if he's on penalties if he's 5.0 if you know you've got your Kennedy on the other hand he may be one that people are looking at worth mentioning Cavaliero looking da- uh, was quite dangerous last season nine goals and 12 assists in the uh, for Wolves uh, in the championship uh the Portuguese could well play and could well prove good value for 5.5 um compared to the likes of you know Delefeu um up front you've got Jimenez uh bonatini um jimenez is a new signing was used sparingly in spain uh the year before and bonatini the young brazilian uh performed very well for wolves in the championship last season uh, he got 12 goals and five assists in 29 games so uh there seems to be some suggestion that jimenez bonatini and jota are all going to kind of rotate in the false nine Um so we don't really know but yeah for me jota at 6.5 is is the man to own really for wolves well that's basically it for this week's pod uh, we haven't got that much time because Nick has to go for baby related reasons, uh, just to reiterate who we are we are Who Got The Assist, you can find us online at whogottheassist.com, you can find us on Twitter at WTA underscore FPL
0: and if you want to join our leagues, um, league code for our main league is 516-441 um, for our zombie league, um, we ran through the rules um, on the previous pod if you haven't listened to it um, it's worth a listen and worth joining the league code is 280665 58277 there's a theme to every pod as well last week's theme was uh, Nirvana and uh, well done boss who, who got that one first a few people got it from uh, some of the subtle and not so subtle references that we, we threw into the pod so there's, there's another theme this, this week so if you, yeah, if you spot it let us know on Twitter or email or however you want to contact us cool uh,
1: yep yeah, look up for uh, all of our kind of blog stuff over the coming week um, over the coming couple of weeks actually we'll be back in a couple of weeks with an unwritten rules of FPL pod uh, with FPL Stag and just uh, you know be all systems go effectively at the start of the season. So that'll come at you on the final Monday before uh, before the FPL season kicks off in earnest on Friday. Okay, thanks very much, guys. We hope this assisted you and we'll speak to you soon. See you later. Oh, it's a goal. Who
0: got the assist? Who got the assist? Engage. Sports Social
1: Podcast Network.